Hello, this is Dan Bender, executive producer of the Singles Podcasting Network. Today, I'm excited to present Single Living, a podcast that brings you straight talk on everything that concerns today's singles, including relationships, dating, travel, and financial security. Single Living is hosted by Rich Goss, a well-respected expert in the singles industry. He is the author of eight books on dating and has lectured on the subject in over 50 colleges and universities. Rich is frequently interviewed by the news media, including Oprah, CNN, Fox News, and the Wall Street Journal, to name just a few. And now, here's the host of Single Living, Rich Goss. My guest today is Susan Roan, best-selling author of How to Work a Room, The Secrets of Savvy Networking, and Roanne's Rules, How to Make the Right Impression. Welcome, Susan. Well, thank you so much, Rich. Glad to be here. Tell us about schmoozing. Why is that so crucial? Well, unlike certain people that are getting publicity that say, lose the schmooze, Roanne says, don't you dare lose the schmooze. Schmooze is easygoing conversation, and that's what we all want to have, especially when we're meeting other single people. Comfortable conversation is a key into giving us hints about someone's character. And what is schmooze? Schmooze is, as I said, it's, it, it translates. What it really means is easygoing, lighthearted conversation. You don't schmooze about famine or war or disease. That's a conversation. That's a discussion. But schmooze is lighthearted. It's banter. It's, it's the kind of things we hope we have when we go to holiday dinners with our own families and friends. Right. So many singles come to my parties, and I, I kind of cringe when I hear some of the things they talk about. Uh, worst thing, of course, is they talk about their ex, and they run down their ex all night long, and, or they get into really heavy topics like religion or sex or politics. What do you, you think know, of that? I'm not, against, I'm not against talking about politics and religion. I'll tell you why. Sometimes, and I just learned this from a business client that I was speaking for, someone said, you know, these days we're, we all have such strong opinions that sometimes we float within the context of a prepositional phrase in the middle of a sentence, a little signal. If someone picks it up and we find out they're like-minded, then that leads to an even more interesting conversation. So it's fair to do that. The thing about religion is, I like to know about other people's religions. If someone's orthodox, then I know I want to send them a holiday card on the day of Epiphany, not regular Christmas Day. So I yes. think it's a way of learning. But what we must never do is judge, uh, try to convert people, try to you know spread our gospel and denigrate other people's either political or religious beliefs. But I think in a conversation... How do we learn if we don't talk to someone who knows something we might not know? Right. Well, you know, people are so serious at singles gatherings or really any type of social gathering. They're just so serious. And I like your use of the word banter because I think really uh, a lot of people don't know what banter is and how to do it. Do you have any suggestions for them? Yes. In fact, you know, it's, maybe it's of a certain age, but banter is that back and forth flowing conversation. You know, for example... I get my news from John Stewart, The Daily Show. I watch how they do things. 
um, find re, go and watch a comedy. I mean, go and see a movie. That, read a funny book. I think we need to lighten up. I'm I'm just afraid the other thing, Rich, so much of it in Marin, it, it's not that finding a soulmate isn't serious. It is. But don't you want to find a person that has a, a light-hearted view of life? Oh, or how depressing could that be if you didn't? <laughs> well, you know, so many people approach that first date as a terrible test. And it's just a shame that people can't enjoy just going out to dinner with a stranger and getting to know them and laughing at a few jokes. I mean, you don't have to necessarily interrogate somebody about whether or not they're going to be your, your spouse for the rest of your life. Can't you just have some fun on a first date? Oh my God, and if you didn't, would you go on a second one? <laughs> you know, really, it's... The, and I, I remember, I was thinking about this today. I met a gentleman at an event, and we sort of were interested in each other, and we arranged to have a coffee date right here in Marin. I swear to you, Rich, within 10 minutes, I knew he told me he hated his mother. Now, excuse me, <laughs> but... If you hate your mother, what am I going to think you think of women in general? Exactly. But such a terrible thing. I didn't need to know that. Right. Uh, it doesn't bode well. But here's the other part, Rich. The one thing about banter and exchange is people tell us what we need to know. What we want to do is be listening and have our antenna up. Yes. If someone tells you that they, they have to go home and polish their gun collection... <laughs> And you're, you're a person that goes, gun? Oh, my goodness. You need to know that. But I'm with you. A date. You talk about the restaurant, the food. You don't go into your history of your marriages and your, you know, whether you are a widow or, or you know, a divorcee. You, you don't, and you don't knock people. Right. I mean, just putting people down is not a good idea. Definitely not. And, uh, you know, just so often people shoot themselves in the foot in that first conversation. They uh, confess to all of their uh, bad qualities. They talk about their alcoholism or their former drug addiction or, or you know, how they cheated on their ex-spouse or how they're a child molester or whatever. And, you know, that's not how, not how you get a second date. You get a second date by making a good impression, a good first impression on that first date. And I always tell people, be careful with the truth. You never want to volunteer negative information on the first date. After you build up rapport with somebody after you've been seeing somebody for a while and they realize what a wonderful person you are, then you can give them the bad news that you're not perfect. But you can't do that on the first date because people are just too judgmental on that first date. Well, here's the other thing. As those of us that are a little older, you know, we think, do I want to waste my time with someone that already told me they're in five 12-step programs? <laughs> you know, I think... You know, when we think about it, we all have stuff. We all have things. But there is something about being with someone. And you know what I did is I actually talked to a couple friends' parents who had been married 50 years. And I, I remember saying to both women, how did you do this? And both women whose marriages I admired said, oh, we laugh together. Yes. We have fun. Let that be a clue. If you're laughing at the same things, that's a really good sign. But if you're always serious, never lighthearted, um, and you know, there's so many wonderful things right here. I know you have served singles all over the Bay Area, but we're in the Bay Area. This is a real wonderful place to be. Yes. If you're not sure, go and take a look from a view and see the water or the mountains or 
walk around, you know, one of the, you know, the ponds that we have, we're really lucky. We're very lucky so in the San Francisco that, Bay Area. Very, very lucky. We, we really are, because if someone says to you, and I, I would share this, maybe the dinner is a great first date, but how about this? Arrange to take a walk with someone for that second or third date. Or even an ice cream cone. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, but definitely. Now, I like your idea better than mine. <laughs> you know, so many people feel compelled to drop 100 or $200 on a first date, which it just seems so silly to me because the odds are the average person you date is not going to turn out to be the love of your life, and you don't want to invest a tremendous amount of time and money and energy into that first encounter. You know, what's wrong with a cup of coffee or an ice cream cone, you know, talking for 15, 20 minutes, and then if you click, then you can schedule more time for a real date, and you can show up with the flowers and the candy. Andy at her home. Yeah, and here's the other thing. And for me, make a dark chocolate because I gave up milk <laughs> chocolate. Um, now that I'm of a certain age, I just say to people, you know what? I, I don't eat milk chocolate. So maybe I sound picky, but I just yes. thought I'd put that out there. Okay. But, you know, you make a good point. I think the meeting over the non-expensive investment, because there's another part too. If someone needs the expensive restaurant, is that the person you want to spend time with? Well, sure. I mean, looking at it from the vantage point, if you're a woman, do you really want to go out with a guy who feels he has to impress you by taking you to the fanciest restaurant in town? You know, wouldn't you rather have a guy who's going to impress you with the quality of his character and, and what a great personality he has? And on the, the reverse side of it, if you're a man, I mean, do you really want to go with a high-maintenance woman who makes it very, very clear that if you want to spend some time with her, you've got to drop 100 or 200 bucks on her? Oh, I find that so... I find that so hard. You know, I... To me, it's like split a pizza. It, you know, this you want to be, I think, low keyed because that takes the pressure off, um, and and make it for, like you said, a smaller amount of time. We are blessed with more coffee houses than we have coffee drinkers. Yes. Have a cup of coffee with someone, by the way, and watch their eating habits. If someone, I just do this because I just returned a meal at a restaurant, so I'm guilty of it. But if someone is picky, and what, here's a tip. In terms of conversation, watch how the person you're with talks to the person that is the server, the, the waiter, the waitress. That's a very important bird's eye view into character. Very much so, because uh, they're trying to romance you, but they're not trying to romance the waiter or the waitress. So you really see the more genuine person and how they're going to treat you after the wedding ring, after the marriage, because however rotten they treat the wait staff, that's the way they're going to treat you after you're married. Absolutely. And, you know, for those of us to feel we want to have people feel that talking to us is a good thing, do you want someone that uses that tone and is condescending to any service person, because, you know, my other book I wrote, the theme was you never know. You never know who that person is. you got to be nice to everyone. And I had this happen. I, I was at a restaurant, and a, I saw a gentleman I thought I was interested in, and one of my married friends said, I'd never let you go out with him. Why? Why wouldn't you? She says, you're watching how he's talking to his dinner companions. I'm watching how he's talking to the waiter. Yes. So that I think is, and here's, can I give you some hints of how we can all prepare conversation so when we go to single events that we feel more confident? Definitely. Please do. 
please read the newspaper. I don't care if you read it online or, like myself, prefer to get dirty print ink on your hands. <laughs> yes. Read your local paper. Read a national paper. Read People magazine. If you know what's going on in your community, in the world, in, you know, in national issues, and you prepare in case there's a lull, three to five items you could talk about, whether it's who's winning, you know, in the football world or who's, what new movie is coming out and who might get the Oscar or what book is taking the town by storm, you will feel more confident because you have backup conversation so you won't feel at a loss for words. You know, this is going to sound really politically incorrect, Susan, but uh, I just can't believe how many empty-headed people there are in the world who really don't have the slightest idea of what's going on outside of their home or outside of their local town. I mean, it's just amazing to me how myopic people are, and they're really boring. I certainly wouldn't want to spend uh, an hour with a person like this, much less the rest of my life. You know, it's so funny you say this, because when I was... I'm still 4'11", so you know me, Rich, I'm still little. But when I really was a little girl, yes. I had a fifth-grade teacher who said something that I actually made her the pivotal person for the Secrets of Savvy Networking, because she said two things. One, the closest thing to knowing something is to know where to find it. And that's the concept of networking and Google. But the second thing she said is if you want to be a good conversationalist, you have to be well-informed, and to be well-informed, you must be well-read. And you're right. Find out what's going on in other countries. Find out what's going on in other states. You know, be, you know there's, we all want to be interesting. And if we are more worldly, we're more interesting, but there's another piece to how we can develop relationships with um, other singles, and that's be interested. When we find out what someone is interested in and we ask questions, we share stories, you know, common bonds and connections develop with the most unlikely people. And you know what? I'm actually, why I'm such a big one about how you meet people by conversation, to me, conversation is the aphrodisiac. Yes. And, and shall we suggest to people that, God forbid, they actually read a book? Because books oh are so much, yeah, yeah, books are so much out of favor nowadays. I saw a statistic out there that the average American reads one book per year. And oh, it's even, my goodness. And it's even more shocking that, than that. Of course, both of us are authors, so we don't like hearing that. But it's even more shocking than that because that means, since it's an average, that means for every person who reads 100 books a year, and there are a lot of people that do read that many books, that means there's 100 other people that read zero books that year. You brought up a very good point. When you're talking to someone and they don't read and you're an avid reader, pay attention to that signal. And yes, as an author, you know, I say to people, when I was a teacher, I taught kids how to read. Now I'm an author and I want everyone to teach people how to read. But it is awful. But today's, um, there just came out a statistic that San Francisco jumped from 10th place as the most literate, we're now up to the number five of the most literate cities. In the United States, I presume? Yes. Seattle's number one. We went from 10. We're now number five. We re you know, what we're blessed with here, too, is we have these wonderful bookstores that have wonderful author events. 
Yes. If you want to meet someone that's interesting and shows that they have some character, go to a book event with an author. You'll meet another Nelson DeMille fan. Yes. Oh, maybe you'll meet, you know, um, an Annie Prowl fan. You might meet um, a John Lesquois fan. Or I went to hear Malcolm Gladwell. Who are you going to be sitting with are people who read, who are smart, who are interesting. This is particularly great advice, Susan, to the gentlemen who are listening to this podcast because so many of these bookstores, you see all these women wandering around and very few men because generally men don't read in bookstores and women do. So that's a great place to meet single women. I'm glad you said that because if I'd said it, I think that would have <laughs> strung up me, up me up and quartered me. But, you know, there's, there's another thing, too. May I give a hint? Yes. Because one of the guys that works out with us in aerobic class says, He's married, but he says, I tell all my single men friends, you want to meet women? Go to a health club. Yes. That, go to the classes that they go to. My own brother in Chicago goes to step classes where he's the only guy. Exactly. You know, a lot of the, the guys don't understand that you're not going to meet any, any women at the health club if you're busy with a heavy equipment because most women don't like that. You've got to get up on the aerobics class or the yoga class or get up on the exercise cycle if you want to meet the women. And, and conversely, I tell the women, if you want to meet men at a health club, you don't meet them at the yoga class. You've got to pump some iron. Yes. And here's the benefit. You'll not only meet the person of your dreams, you might not get osteoporosis. <laughs> exactly. You know, there's so many things that you can do with the opposite sex or with strangers that are such terrific forms of exercise, and they're also good for your mental health. And, of course, we all know that sex is a very important exercise that, unfortunately, a lot of people don't engage in. It's, it's so sad. You know, you read the statistics out there, Susan, such a high percentage of people out there have no sex life whatsoever. And these people are not necessarily in their 80s and 90s. I mean, a lot of these people are in their 30s and 40s and 50s. I mean, it's just really tragic how people basically just stay home and watch television and get fat. Well, here, well we know about the getting fat part. But here's, let's say, we are blessed here with lots of activity, lots of places. But you know what I did, and this is very interesting, I decided that my world is writing and speaking and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I needed to do something different. I started taking salsa lessons. Yes. And just forcing myself into something that I didn't know that would help my brain, you know what I mean? Because yes. they say that's supposed to be good for you. And you meet diverse people that you wouldn't necessarily meet. But here's the important part, Rich, and this is so much a part of the schmooze and the meeting, and you already have the common interest right there. So whether you're a birder or belong to a book club or it's a hiking club or whether you're doing the fire trails or it's the salsa lesson or maybe a cooking class, go to what you're interested in and, you know, this is so much common sense. I mean, I didn't make this up. This is like everyone's going, oh, my God, I, I know that. Well, do it. You've yes. already heard Rich say it. You've heard me say it. You know it. Do what you want to do, and you'll meet people that like the same thing. Right. Let's talk a little bit about networking, Susan. Who would you say does the networking best, men or women, and why? You know, I have been asked this for years, and because I don't mind being politically correct, here's what I would say. When they came out with the old the women wanted to imitate the old boys network. I was interviewed years ago and said, good Lord, why? <laughs> women are great at networking. Yes. We've done it for years. 
pass the recipe. Do you have a cure for the, you know, the bubonic plague? We've been sharing and supporting and exchanging. And by the way, in our American history, those quilting circles and sewing circles were the original group therapy for, you know, pioneers and Puritans. Yes. So we have been doing that. Men do it differently. But what I've learned is we can both learn from each other. Women need to be, for business, more specific to business. And men, I found that men like the female way to network because they like the ongoing support. A woman gives you a job to lead, and she calls you two weeks later and says, so what happened? Yes. And so it's part of the follow-up. And one of the things I've said about networking, and I know you know this about me, it's, it's not a work style. It's a lifestyle. Yes. And the best of networkers relates to single life. The best of networkers are great matchmakers. If you have a friend that has a car that needs a mechanic, you recommend a mechanic. You have a friend that says, oh, I've got a daughter who's like 24 and she's coming back home and I'd like to fix her up. You've got a friend that's got a son who's 28. Yes. How can we get better at networking with others, Susan? You know, we have to resolve that life is only going to work for us if we have a network. You know what, Rich? If people read any of the research on health and longevity, the number one thing that repeats over and over, whether it's UCLA or Harvard or Berkeley or wherever they do it is, having social networks is what keeps you healthy and keeps you mentally alert. Exactly. So if we look at that and how we can get better, well, I think is, you know what, my website has a ton of free articles and my blog on what to do and even more importantly, what not to do. Um, I think the core ingredient is do you like people? If you like people, then you have everything you need to begin to network. If you don't inherently like people, and you know what, Rich, there are people go, I'm a people person, and I look at them going, you got to be kidding. Yes. If you like people, helping them, asking them for help, bringing them into your different worlds is, is natural. If you don't really like people, and I know people who don't like people, nothing we say is going to work. What about uh, the, the charge? Sometimes you hear people say that networking is just using people. What do you say about that? Only users. For, for people who are users, that's perfect. But how about this? My dear late femter, Sally Livingston, said, and this is 25 years ago, the real networkers, and some of us know people who are the real sharers. You can't, they don't even know they're networking. This is how they live their life. It's utilizing resources, sharing resources. If you never give back, if you never help, if you're only taking, 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 you are a user. If you're always trying to sell something, rather than trying to make other people's lives and their businesses work, you know, then, you're, then you are a user. But if you look at it as utilizing resources, and if you're a giver, it's not using if you give back. It's only using if you never give back and only take. Let's get to the $64,000 question that every single person has, especially as we talk about networking and mingling. Let's talk about shyness. Where does it come from and how do we overcome it? You know what, and it's, I think we're all shy in single situations. First of all, according to Dr. Philip Zimbardo, who started the Stanford Shyness Clinic and is right here locally and was the past president of the American Psychological Association, 
93% of American adults self-identify as shy. Is that an amazing statistic? Wow. It, it's an amazing statistic. And I think there's a part of it that self-identification is when someone's uncomfortable, and I did write How to Work a Room, and this was a huge factoid, when someone's uncomfortable walking into a room, and especially uncomfortable because there's so much at stake at a singles event, remember, 93% of the people in the room feel the same way you do. That's the amazing thing. You know, all of us walk into a room, let's go, say we go to a singles party, and we see all these unfriendly people, and I tell people, those people aren't unfriendly, they're just afraid. And they're afraid of you because we're all afraid of strangers. And you walk into a room and you're afraid of everybody. Should it be any surprise to you that they're also afraid of you? That's brilliant what you said. And that to be underscored. Because here's the other thing. There's that fear. You know, when I wrote How to Work a Room, I talked about the roadblocks and the remedies. But there's one that is really big in single events. And that is our fear of rejection. Yes. And the only thing I can say, because I remember years ago I went to one of your events and Susan Page yes. wrote, was speaking, and she said, you know, we all bemoan the fact that there are not thousands of people that we could go out with. She said, it only takes one. Right. It, it's funny how we invest so much of our self-esteem onto just, you know, these strangers that we meet at parties or that we go out on dates with, and we don't realize that not everybody in the world is going to like us. And all we really need is to have one person like us, if it's the right person, and if they're willing to spend the rest of their lives with us. I mean, really, even if they're willing to spend, you know, there's that wonderful card that I I got years ago, and someone sent it to me. It's a, I'm not looking for Mr. Right, I'm looking for Mr., you know, for right now. Exactly. You know, just having a, someone that becomes a friend and that you can keep as a friend, I, you know, I go back to, and sometimes I do channel my mother, which is the most frightening thing, <laughs> which she would say things like, so the person isn't for you, but maybe you know a friend. Yes. I know someone who was went in a single thing, you know, met the guy that she was supposed to meet, whatever, the match thing, but she saw the other guy, and she waited till the woman said, oh, I don't like him at all. Yes. And she got clearance, which I think is really ethical and important. Well, right. she's been married to that guy for 12 years. The matchmaking didn't happen between them, but she paid attention. You know what she did? And here's the other thing we said. She knew that there was an event. She lived in the city after a full work day, went home, changed clothes, didn't feel like going out, schlepped herself across the bridge to be put in the same room that this guy she thought was interesting might show up in. Right. You know, so it's some of those risks we have to take. If we don't show up at your events, you know, at other events, just even if it's some married, some single, remember that married person next to you has single friends and relatives. Exactly. You know, before we conclude the interview, Susan, let's tell people a little bit about your website, SusanRoan.com. And I want to spell your name because people don't always know how to spell it. Susan is real obvious, but the Roan is spelled R-O-capital-A-N-E, SusanRoan.com. And what will they find on that website, Susan? Oh, my goodness. Well, you'll find um, a picture that's been um, digitally enhanced. But <laughs> you, you're the first, say, first author that's ever admitted that to me in these, oh, these series of you know interviews. What? Where would anyone be without their Photoshop facelift? Yes. But th that being said, um, 
you'll find a whole section called free articles. And if any of our listeners have a shy teen, you know, a son or a daughter or, you know, just a friend or a relative, there's even an article for them. There's a ton of free material. You'll, you can get free chapters of each of my books and audios. Right. Um, there's a lot of free information. There's even a schmooze quotient quiz. Yes. And there's a direct link to my blog, which has a lot of thoughts and ideas. I don't just write what I ate for breakfast because that's so boring, but sure. try to make it um, impactful for the reader. So there's a ton of material. You can even see a video of me speaking if you think you might know of an organization or a company that needs to have a little more schmooze in in their business plan. Wonderful. I'd like to say thank you to Susan Roan, my guest. Single Living is a production of the Singles Podcasting Network in San Rafael, California. If you have any comments or suggestions about Single Living, feel free to email us at comments at singlespodcastingnetwork.com. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time, this is your host, Rich Goss.